I'm still afraid. I still have the same issues that I've always had. I just spend minutes or moments there instead of days, weeks, months, or years. I am unwilling to give up. That I will start over from scratch as many times as it takes to get where I want to be. I want to be. You just want to make sure you will get knocked down, but just make sure you don't get knocked out. Knocked out. Knocked so your out. only choice should be go focus on what you can control. 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 Hi everyone, and welcome to the Kara Golden Show. Show. Join me each week for inspiring conversations with some of the world's greatest leaders. We'll talk with founders, entrepreneurs, CEOs, and really some of the most interesting people of our time. Can't wait to get started. Let's go. Let's go. Hi, everyone. It's Kara Golden from The Kara Golden Show, and I'm super excited to have our next guest here. So uh, this is David Meltzer, who is the co-founder of Sports One Marketing and host of one of my favorite entrepreneurs' podcasts, The Playbook. And uh, he's a top 100 business coach. He is a best-selling author, which we're going to talk about his latest book. And he was also served as the CEO of the renowned Lee Steinberg Sports and Entertainment Agency, which, of course, was the inspiration behind Jerry Maguire. So welcome, welcome, welcome. And we are so excited to have you here. And also, I should have mentioned one of his greatest things that I want to really, really dive into is really his mission to empower over a billion people to be happy. And I love all of the uh, stuff that you're doing around, uh, do you officially call it coaching? I mean, I, I, it's, yeah, it's so hard, right? Mentoring, coaching, or just, you know, being kind. It's so elevating and inspirational to be in a position in my life where I can be of service and change and impact people's life through the dummy tax that I've paid. So uh, it's so nice to see the, the the payback of all the stupid things that I've done to help other people not do the stupid things that I've done. You know what? I absolutely love that because I think it's, it's uh, look, it's so needed. I think everybody would say being kind, being grateful, paying back is super needed. But I also just think that how you're doing it is it in a way that that really teaches people and especially the next generation. So total side note, but it's uh, it's something that I'm really passionate about and something that I've heard from my book, actually, from I'm a Gen Xer. And um, so I've had a lot of millennials actually say to me that, you know, the authentic nature and me talking about some of the failures and some of the stuff that I just didn't really do right and kind of bouncing back, changing industries, doing things that I wasn't having four kids when I'm starting a company, <laughs> doing all this stuff that, you know, is is sort of against what people talk about. I, I feel like that is a lot of what you talk about, whether it's in your podcast or whether it's in you know any of your books too. Yeah, I think the perception of happiness is distorted. And as I've evolved in technology since the early 90s, I've seen people amplify the wrong things. And we see that through now, especially in politics, that how powerful it can be to amplify the wrong things and that certain perceptions and per certain stories can change people's lives. And through the failures, or I should say the lessons of my life, I've learned that that's my story. And the more that I told my story and the closer I came to the truth of telling my story, the more people felt com comfortable or liberated 
to live their lives and to live their stories instead of some facade or some unrealistic perception of how life is supposed to be or how life is. And so it really started building a life of its own with a really simple mission of understanding why people commit suicide, especially very young people. Mm -hmm. I have three teenage daughters. I have four kids too, like you. And I give my wife all the credit because she had her own business and raised those kids. And I support that, but I have to admit she uh, put a much more concentration into those wonderful kids. But I couldn't understand how a 12-year-old or a 10-year-old could even fathom uh, the idea of taking their lives. Where was happiness? Where was hope? You know, what happened? And I still get choked up talking about it. And it just kept evolving that as I watched how social media worked and how media, digital media worked and the amplification, I started saying, wow, there needs to be someone out there that's human, someone that just isn't pretending and mm -hmm. standing in front of a car that he doesn't own or a house that he is leasing, telling everyone how happy he is for being rich. Well, I have a great story about coming from nothing and thinking that money was going to make me super happy just to realize I was happy before I made the money. And there has to be some sort of way to have both in your life. And that's really been my journey, especially the last 15 years. What was kind of your first job and sort of how did you get to where you are today? You know, I had interesting, my life was about my relationship with money and because I didn't have any and I had a single mom who raised six kids and was a second grade teacher who packed our dinner in a station wagon in Akron, Ohio and filled up turnstiles at the 7-Eleven and convenience stores with greeting cards. And I watched her. I didn't listen to my mom at all, but I watched her. My mom was the typical Jewish mom, doctor, lawyer, failure, fetuses and fully developed after graduate school, you know, all the things, the pressures of education. And my siblings all adhered to her and went to the Ivy Leagues and graduated summa cum laude. And I just wanted to be rich. I wanted to buy mm -hmm. my mom. How often have you thought about learning a new language only to be stopped by that memory of yours from the last time you tried to learn a language when it didn't go so well? Okay, maybe it wasn't a language that you were interested in learning, or perhaps all those poorly written textbooks in your sixth grade class weren't that well written after all. I have a great tip for you. It's called Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program around, available on desktop or app, no matter where you choose to learn it or what platform you choose to learn on, Rosetta Stone works and it truly immerses you in the language you choose to learn quicker and easier than you ever imagined to. Maybe you're getting ready to travel abroad this summer and you want to learn a bit of Portuguese, let's say, before your trip. Rosetta Stone can help. I know this firsthand as I did just this before traveling to Portugal last year. I learned Portuguese through Rosetta Stone, and by doing so, I not only got a better grasp of the spoken language of Portugal, but it got me very excited for the trip itself before I went. They even have a true accent feature that gives you feedback on your pronunciation as you are learning, too. They've got you covered. Rosetta Stone's trusted experts are the real deal. They've been helping people just like you for over 30 years helping millions of people to learn Spanish, French, Italian, German, Korean, Chinese, Japanese, Dutch, Arabic, Polish, and my favorite, Portuguese. The lessons are five to 10 minutes long and include practical exercises so that you can pick up the language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. No English translations either, so you really learn to speak, listen, and think in the language you are focused on, helping you get the long 
long-term retention you are looking for. And who wouldn't want that? Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, the Kara Golden Show listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash today today. Thinking about what's for dinner, but you haven't had a minute to even think about it before now? Well, let's not make that mistake again. I have a tip for you. Factor. Stress-free, delicious, ready-to-eat meals, just perfect for spring and summer yumminess. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes or less. Choose from a weekly menu of 35 options, keto, vegan, veggie, or calorie smart. Factor has you covered. Discover more than 60 add-ons every week, too, like breakfast and on-the-go lunch choices snacks and beverages now too. Stay fueled and feel good all day long with whatever they are creating over at Factor for you. And the best part, each meal is ready to eat in just two minutes or less. And who wouldn't want that? Factor is your solution for fast premium meals without the need for cooking. Get started today and fuel up for your spring and summer goals. What are you waiting for? Head to factormeals.com slash golden50 and use code golden50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next box. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. That's code golden50 at factormeals.com slash golden50 to get 50% off plus 20% off your next box while your subscription is active. Mom house in a car and that drove me. And there's a lot of positive things from believing that money would buy you happiness and love. For example, I lived a very open-minded life that I, because I wanted money, I was always looking for the next option, the next deal. Even at a young age, I was just looking to see what I could buy and sell, how I could hustle to make, you know, whether it was bottle caps or, or trading cards or mm. any type of weird job I could get that in constantly yeah. trying to make money. Even when I went to law school, you know, still respecting my mom, I didn't just take I got a great job offer to be an oil and gas litigator. I did very well. Went to Tulane University specifically to make a lot of money because they had a great maritime program. I did my research. Oil and gas lawyers made the most money. I was very money. My nickname was Money Money. Even when I played college football, my nickname was Money Money. Oh God, I was I love it. all money. And uh, but I took a job in sales in the internet, you know. And I in 1992, everyone thinks that's such an easy decision. Not in 1992 with DOS computer computers uh, carrying around on a luggage cart. Uh, my mom freaked out. You know, literally one of my best lessons I learned at that time, just because someone loves you doesn't mean they give you good advice because I adored my mom. I wanted to be rich to buy her a house and a car. That's what motivated me. But she told me the internet was a fad and that I was making the biggest mistake of my life. Nine months out of law school, I was a millionaire. 
And mm. everything from that point on reaffirmed money bought love and happiness. I bought my mom the house in a car. We sold our first company uh, in 1995 for $3.4 billion to Thomson Reuters. I went to the Silicon Valley, learned a superpower of raising money, hundreds of millions of dollars in the wireless proxy service space. By 30, I married my dream girl from the fourth grade. I had everything I ever wanted. I was CEO of Samsung's first phone division. They called them convergence devices back then. It was a Windows C, Microsoft. I remember, 19, yeah. 1999, and I was on top of the world. The funniest thing was, for the first time in my life, I wasn't happy. I literally had everything. I was healthy. I had a beautiful wife, gonna start my family. And I was not, I didn't know it at the time, but I was very lonely, very empty, very separated from everything. And it took about, you know, six to eight years to learn the lessons that money doesn't buy love or happiness. Uh, I ended up being the CEO of the most notable sports agency in the world, surrounding myself with celebrities, athletes, entertainers, access to everything you could imagine that you dream of, Super Bowl, Pro Bowls, Masters, Grammys, ESPYs, Emmys. And through those six to eight years, I learned the real relationship to that currency, that object of energy that you put into the flow to get what you want. And through my dad, my mom, my wife, and my best friend, Robbie, they slapped me in the face a few times over the six to eight years to finally, I get life. And that's where my journey to help people and to shift the paradigm of that currency money to me. Money no longer will buy happiness or love, but it's super important, which is kind of my nuance that money allows you to shop, but you have to shop for the right thing. So mm -hmm. the way that I put it, Kai, is I lived in a world of not enough in Akron, Ohio, six kids, single mom. I was a victim. Everything happened to me. I went around like, why can't I, why me? Why? And then I made all this money and I thought I was an optimist. I was a, phil a philanthropic guy. I gave to receive. Mm -hmm. And I was living in a world of just for me. Even mm -hmm. giving was for me. There was some acknowledgement, recognition, something, some trade or negotiation that had to occur even in my giving. And yet, I was buying things I didn't need. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy more things I didn't need. If I wasn't happy, I'd buy things to impress people or even impress people I didn't like. And it ended up in a very shallow, lonely place. And I had to re-engineer my life, take stock in who I was. The irony of my whole life is I bottomed out two years before I lost everything. So I lost over $100 million in 2008, learned many, many financial lessons. But my life lessons, my transformation occurred when I was running Lee Steinberg two years before I lost everything, when I had to take stock in who I was and what I wanted to become, when I learned what values in my life were important. How did you have the courage to actually admit it to yourself that this was kind of was going on and I need to pause and and yeah. what was it? Three there's three things that happened and I'll say them as quickly as I can, but they're really important. Number one, when I was 30 years old, I just had married my dream girl and uh, I had known her since the fourth grade. My best friend, Robbie, in the sixth this. grade, he, 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 asked, he asked my wife for me to go steady at sixth grade camp. And he embarrassed me because she's like, no, tell him to ask me himself. And he screams out, dude, she said no. So I threw an egg at my wife. But at 30 years old, my father of all people, I've been estranged for 20 years from my father. He left when I was five. He was my superhero. 
uh, one of the biggest Jewish guilt things I have still to this day is I can remember sitting in the back of that station wagon. My poor mom in the 70s, back in the 70s, there was actually deadbeat dads, dads like mine that made a ton of money, married girls closer to my age than his, but didn't give any child support. So I'm in the backseat of the car telling my mom, why can't you be more like dad? And, you know, she never humbly never said anything negative about my father till I was 10 and he forgot my birthday. Now, it wasn't bad enough he forgot my birthday. It's that he lied to me and told me he didn't forget my birthday, that he didn't believe in birthdays. And that was such horseshit because he was celebrating his birthday, my sibling's birthday, his girlfriend's, you know. I was like, you're a liar, a cheater, manipulator, overseller, and backend seller. So at 30, I get my first birthday present in 20 years. Mm-hmm. And it changed. It, it was the start of this lesson because I opened it. It was a beautiful sport coat. Mm-hmm. And I started to cry. And my wife's like, what's the matter? I said, it fits me. He, my dad cares. He gets it. I'm going to get this approval that I've been looking for for 20 years. I just want my dad to tell me he's proud of me. Right. Mm-hmm. And I open it up. I'm looking for the happy 30th birthday, especially made for David Meltzer or Armani. You know, I'm looking for something. He tore yeah. all the pockets out. I was so furious. I called him up. I said, dad, why are you punishing me? I haven't had a birthday present in 20 years. You send me one to punish me? He said, what are you talking about? I said, I can't wear the jacket you sent me. He said, it's not for wearing. I said, why would you send me a jacket not for wearing? He said, it's to remind you that you're just like me. And I need you to know that money doesn't buy happiness or love. I don't want you to be the richest man in the cemetery. I've made these mistakes, son. I don't want you to. And I said to him, I'll never forget, I hate you. You're a liar, a cheater, a manipulator, overseller back in. I'm nothing like you, F you, and thanks for nothing. And I hung the jacket in my closet. Never wore it again. At, you know, never even looked at it yeah. really. Six, six years later, this is how the universe works. Six years later, I'm running Lee Steinberg Sports Entertainment. I left Samsung and I have access to everything. I'm playing golf with my friend, Rob, the guy who asked my wife to go study. And I asked Rob to go to the masters with me. And I told him, you love golf. Curtis Strange invited us to his uh, his uh, cabin. You can meet uh, Wayne Gretzky. You know, we go to the NetJet parties. It'll be the time of your life. And Rob being Rob looks at me and he goes, not a chance. I said, bruh, what do you mean not a chance? He said, Dave, I don't like who you hang out with and I don't like what you're doing. I said, come on, Rob, I'm not doing what those guys are doing. He looked me right in the eyes and he said, I'll never forget. He's like, Dave, you can lie to me, but don't lie to yourself. I still have trouble saying it because it crushed me so much because yeah. it was so true. You were talking about how, how could you be honest? I went home once again in tears and I realized today there's a book written about don't take yes for an answer. And you've been around these circles in the Silicon Valley, high net wealth individuals, athletes, celebrities. You know, it's very dangerous when everyone tells you yes. Mm-hmm. And everyone totally. around me for 10 years have been telling me yes, that nickname Money Money, Midas, all the false values that I had about myself and impressions, Rob shattered because I knew he knew who I was and he knew what I was doing. Mm-hmm. And it was hard for me to take. Two weeks after that, my life would change forever. I asked my wife to go to the Grammy Awards with Little John, the rapper. And mm-hmm. my wife told me no. You're not paying attention to the family. You're not paying. I had three girls under eight years old at the time. She said, you're not paying attention to business. And I'm really worried about you. You're partying way too much. You need to stay home. I lied to her, went to the Grammy Awards, 
came home 5.30 in the morning, complete mess, and there she was sitting to change my life. She sat there 5.30 in the morning and told me she wasn't happy, that I was gonna end up dead, that she was gonna leave me, that I better take stock in who I was. And even at that moment, I told her to F off. How dare she talk to me that way? How unappreciative could you be? Look around you. Do you know what kind of cars are in the garage? I mean, I would be embarrassed to tell you everything I said. I went to bed, woke up, ready to call all my divorce lawyer friends from law school and past associates to figure out how I was gonna steal her happiness and love by taking all the money. And my life would change because I looked in the closet and there it was, that goddamn jacket. I can't ever tell this story without choking up because I remember looking at it thinking, God, I do not hate my father. I hate myself. I hate myself. I'm a liar. I'm a cheater. I'm an overseller, a back-end seller. Everyone thinks I'm something I'm not. I'm a complete imposter and a fraud and I am going to end up dead. And that's when I spent the day outlining my core values that have built and evolved to four key values that I wrote my first book about, have now, you know, written four about those values in some way or another, but also created five daily practices as well to simply be happy and to be of service of other people. So no longer do I live in a world of just enough or or for me, just enough or not enough. I live in a world of abundance. I have faith. There's more than enough of everything for everyone. My life is about giving myself away. I have a great skill set to receive. I've learned to be proud of receiving, to be worthy of receiving, but only because I know faithfully that my intent's to give my life away. I'm from nowhere to now here. My goal in life is to give everything I have away through me, not for me or to me. I love that. That is so great. So the four points that you touched on from the first book, do you want to share those? Sure. Just real quick, gratitude uh, is an obvious one. I always tell people, say thank you before you go to bed. And when you wake up, you'll change your life. I promise. 30 straight days, I guaranteed. <laughs> no doubt. So simple. I agree. <laughs> so gratitude gives me perspective. I practice finding the light, the love, and the lessons in everything. And gratitude allows me to do that. The second was forgiveness. And I learned that forgiveness was something I had to give to myself so I could give it to other people. And the interesting thing about forgiveness, because it's evolved in all my books, is at first, the obvious thing about forgiveness is it gives you peace, right? Mm -hmm. If you're able to forgive the unforgivable, you can live extremely peaceful. But you know what else it gave? And I learned this through the pandemic. Forgiveness is the only form of certainty. And I know it's a little bit complex and deep to think about, but I want people to let that germinate a little bit, how that if you are capable of forgiving the unforgivable, how certain your life is, how all the ego-based consciousness, fears and voids and shortages and obstacles, they literally dissolve or dissipate. The third one was accountability. Uh, And this was powerful because I was a lawyer. I always thought in the terms of liability, blame, shame, justification, And I never thought of things in a higher sense that I'm accountable for everything in my life that I've attracted and what am I supposed to learn from it? Even, you know, accidents, people can't separate liability and accountability. I have found a way to do so. And it's so powerful. And I have complete control of my life because I'm accountable. I know it's counterintuitive, but I'm in control of my life because I'm accountable, not anything else. And then finally, the 
inspiration, which I originally called effective communication. So when I started out, my goal of this value was to communicate to people like you. My thing was I can effectively communicate with other people. That's going to change my life. And what I realized through the last 15 years is it's really inspiration. It's far beyond just a one-way communication with others. It's a communication with everything, especially the greatest source of power, light, and love that exists, that things come through me and I am supposed to clear the connection to this unbelievable source and everything else. There are no gatekeepers in my life anymore. There's only sponsors and power sponsors. One tree branch would not go to war against another tree branch. I have no judgments or conditions or attacks for a very long period of time any day. I live minutes and moments in ego, based consciousness or fear, and I keep practicing to diminish that amount of time every day. But I want to remind everyone, I'm still afraid. I still have the same issues that I've always had. I just spend minutes or moments there instead of days, weeks, weeks, months, or years. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. And I, I'm such a huge believer that often when you're sitting in this, you know, challenging spot and it could be a, you know, business or personal or whatever, you don't necessarily see it when you're in it, but it's meant for the journey. You're gonna learn something. And sometimes you can't see it until much later, but the dots, as Steve Jobs used to say, the dots eventually connect, right? And, and connect I think backwards. that, that <laughs> they do. And I just launched my own book, and that's what I talk about in there, that it's just, you know, all successful people have fears, they have failures, they have doubts, and the smartest ones are the ones that are owning those things. And and also recognizing that the dots do connect and there's certain things that happen for a reason. And it doesn't mean that it uh, was comfortable um, at the time that, you know, you didn't, maybe you were embarrassed in some way, but I think that it's such an important piece to go back and connect those things versus uh, the saying that I hate the most that I've heard over the years is forget about the past. Right. I always said, like, no, I don't know. Like there's stuff where you can actually look back. You can, you can don't dwell on it. Um, but also look at those times as learnings on how to be better and how to do things, which I know you talk a ton about in, in your podcast. What was the kind of the, the biggest thing I have to touch on the, the, your time CEO with Lee Steinberg, what was the biggest takeaway from your time there? You know, for me, uh, because Lee had his own personal problems, uh, alcoholism, it's mm -hmm. a disease, it, it was the idea of being kind. You know, I, I was in this just storm and Lee, although he had his own personal issues and there's all types and, you know, thank yeah. goodness it's public now, but he was so dedicated to kindness. He would tell me all the time, be kind to your future self, be kind to your future self. And I, I've added in my own slogan, right? Be kind to your future self, do good deeds. That he had all types of other issues, but how important kindness was. And I saw him negotiate multi-billion dollars with a B deals with the biggest egos in the world. And if anyone you know, has been on the Silicon Valley, which Lee has negotiated on, take it a step farther when you're talking about owners of professional baseball football teams. Uh, I can you only talking, imagine. And somehow he taught me this kind approach of always being fair, never negotiating to the last penny, 
and the true lesson of not doing business with dicks to align your value. Don't sacrifice who you are. If your values aren't aligned and that guy's an a-hole, I don't care how much money is involved. We're walking away. We're not going to waste our time, whether it's the greatest player that we could sign, an owner of a team that we could, you know, make money off of. It was a non-negotiable for Lee Steinberg. Be kind. Don't negotiate to the last penny. Always be fair and don't do business with dicks. I, that's so interesting. So so you've been, you obviously have your podcast, but you've dealt with a lot of athletes. You've dealt with a lot of entrepreneurs. Uh, you've interviewed entrepreneurs like Gary Vee and Joe Foster. And uh, I guess he's, I, I guess he's an entrepreneur <laughs> as well. But John Hennessy, what do you think is the consistent thread between these, you know, phenomenal athletes and entrepreneurs. Is there a consistent thread? I, I will tell you no that doubt. female entrepreneurs in particular, I've noticed that most of them that I know played sports through at least through high school. Yeah, the, there is one common denominator, men, women, and I've had some extraordinary women entrepreneurs like Cindy Eckerd and Kim Perel and some just amazing women like yourself. And I'll tell you, there is absolutely one common denominator and it's real simple. Every person, celebrity, athlete, entertainer, billionaire, millionaire, entrepreneur, they have a desire that they must be what they can be. That's mm -hmm. it. That's the common denominator. They get their whole different directions and that's why the women are athletes is because that's an area where they if you have that personality trait that characteristic athletics at a younger age are completely synergistic and supplementary to that desire to be what you must be because you can prove your potential and chris gardner from the movie with will smith you know the pursuit of happiness so my biggest good. joke with him right i love that movie i told him he screwed up the title and he's always joking with me he goes what are you talking about i said honestly chris it should be happiness is the pursuit because the people that pursue things, that desire to be their best, to pursue their potential, that don't listen to other people's limitations, that don't pursue what other people want or what's missing or what they don't want, people that truly have that vision like you, man, that's the common denominator, hands down. I see it in every single person I've interviewed. Yeah, absolutely. I think that the other thing I learned at a very young age, my dad had a rule in our house. We had five kids. I was the last of five, grew up in Scottsdale. And my dad had a rule that we always had to play sports. And so it was the search. It was like the stress in our house. And so I was either running or I was a gymnast. I And then I remember that during certain times a year, the only thing that I could play was softball. And I hated softball. <laughs> I was so bad at it that I that it became this joke because there were people that were so much better. They'd put me, you know, they'd sit there and like the poor coaches would be stumped. Like, where do we put Kara? She can't catch. She can't, you know, she can run. She She's like an okay hitter, but she's not. But what I learned was just being humble and having an appreciation for people being better than you, right? And, and I think that as not only as an entrepreneur, but also as a leader, that there's always going to be people that are better than you, right? And that you bring in people with different skill sets. And I remember playing with people who all they wanted to play was shortstop. And I was like, go ahead. You can go do whatever you want to do, right? And then I became kind of the funny one on the team 
because I, you know, I just, I mean, I, I wouldn't sit there and mope and be angry. And, you know, I, instead I just say, you know, where should I go today, guys? And then on the flip side, they all knew that I was, you know, a good runner. I was a gymnast. I did, you know, all these other things, but anyway, I just think it's so, it's so interesting, you know, just the, the idea of sort of learning, um, because I think that that there is this demon that goes on, especially in building a company. So many people have said to me in building Hint that, you know, how could you get started knowing that there were these giant billion dollar companies like Coke and Pepsi? And I just never even thought about it. I mean, I'd think about it for a second, but it, I didn't fear it. Instead, I just said, I'm going to play with these people. And I'm actually... I have a better idea. And today we're the largest independent non-alcoholic beverage in the country that doesn't have a relationship with Coke, Pepsi, or Dr. Pepper Snapple. And, right. you know- Which is why they all want to acquire you. <laughs> I mean, but, it, but it's an interesting thing because I think I'm okay with having like really good people out there and really big companies sitting next to me. I don't sit there and like lose sleep over them. I just say we're- we have to figure out how we're different. And we're not only different from a product standpoint, but over 50% of our business is direct to consumer, uh, which, you know, during the pandemic, it was a big deal. And, you know, for those companies that didn't it's have still that a big set deal. Up, and it's a big deal. <laughs> and so that was something we've been doing for the last seven years quietly. There's a lot of people who don't know that we are the largest independent non-alcoholic beverage in the country. You know, I mean, that's, it's a big deal. And, really big deal. But again, you don't have to like sit there and broadcast it all day long. You just, you know, we're the, you know, the tortoise in, in the hair story, the underdog that just keeps going and keeps going forward. But again, I think, I, I think that goes back to athletics and, and kind of, and the better people versus the demons that go on because you, I am competitive, but I'm also, I, I pick my lane and I pick the things that I know I can do and, and, um, you know, try my best to learn all these things. But I also know how to bring people in who are better than me. And I confidently say that, you know, that I, I actually had launched the original website on Hint and learned how to code. And I didn't know how to code, but I, I learned it. And it was terrible. I was embarrassed about this website for the first three years. I was like, can somebody just like redo it? It's really <laughs> bad. Of softball. <laughs> yeah, it, right? And I said, just redo it. But then we did. We, you know, we ended up redoing it eventually. But it was um, because I brought in people that were way better than me. But I still know enough about that business. I still know enough about softball to be able to go to a softball or baseball game or whatever. But again, I think that there, there's that consistent thread. So, but, but getting back to you and your amazing podcast, The Playbook. So you have talked to a ton of businesses, entrepreneurs along the way. What was one of the better interviews not the most interesting yeah. i won't I mean, put we have you over in that 600 position. yeah we have yeah. over 600 so i probably can remember but i will tell you that deepak chopra and mm. i normally uh have an interview where i'm looking for the broad mass understanding and questions you know i'm really i'm more interested than interesting so i ask questions my goal of any interview is like no one's ever asked me that or hmm you know that's where i want to get to but deepak chopra I went at him from a personal perspective. I wanted this opportunity to be my own. And I asked questions 
that I imagine still today that 10% of the audience could even understand my question because I went to a spiritual enlightenment level of woo-woo-ness, which I really enjoy at my own yeah. person. And I learned so much about human existence, human nature, energy, uh, frequency, things that you and I may discuss behind doors, but very rarely do I do it on my podcast. And to this day, I, I had the time, I learned the, the most from him. It was a very selfish interview. So I wouldn't say that people would vote to say that's the best interview, Dave Mel. I mean, I've had Cameron Diaz and Dan Aykroyd and Ray Lewis. Yeah, I mean, the list to go people. on and they're amazing. And I, I love Ray Lewis too. I'll tell you the scariest part of any interview I've ever done, but pre-COVID was Ray Lewis at his house when he's so passionate and intense and so strong. He was saying something and he grabbed my leg and I don't think he realized how how hard he grabbed my leg and it was just passion, right? And I'm like, oh my God, oh my, exactly. I'm like, oh my God, he's going to break my leg because <laughs> he was so excited. So I've had just the best time. The podcast to me is like Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. I've had an opportunity to get the playbook to success to people like you. And I'm keen enough to do the research and be more interested to ask the right questions so everybody can learn the secret sauces of what it takes to be passionate, purposeful, and profitable. I love it. So the new book, Game Time Decision Making. So how did you decide to write another book? Well, this one, believe it or not, McGraw-Hill asked me to write. So I kind of entered the world of publishers. And it was interesting because they wanted the sports side of what I do. So would you self-publish before? Oh, with yeah. With the other books? Oh, I, interesting. Well, I did. I did uh, my original book actually was from Hay House. It, it mm -hmm. connected to goodness. Yep. And I took it back. And I had, my thing is I like to get my books for free. And mm -hmm. obviously, if you use a publisher and take a big advance, uh, that's not as a possibility right. and but they wanted me to do the sports book and i wanted to do a book about happiness and so the biggest and greatest challenge of game time decision making is i have lessons and i do a pre-game analysis uh, about what I want to teach you. I tell sports stories and entertainment stories to teach you the lessons. Then I do a post-game analysis to review the lesson. And all the lessons, if you go back and read it under this perspective, are about teaching people and empowering them to be happy. Uh, and I use, just like Jerry Maguire, the backdrop of sports to teach a lesson. The thing most people don't realize about Jeremy Gawire beyond the extraordinary writing of Cameron Crowe and you know all the one-liners, it's a love story. Why, why is it so popular? It's not because it's a sports story. Right? There's no great inspirational sports story in Jerry Maguire. It's a love story. And it's this human, and that's what made it great. And truly, that's what that book is about. It's a book about happiness. And I utilize a different frequency or vibration, one of mass appeal to use sports as the backdrop to allow people to open up their mind and hopefully empower them to see things a different way about making decisions based on the inventory of their personal experiential giving and receiving values to allow life to come through them. But in a vernacular that's really based off of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick and right, all and the all things that, these yeah, yeah, I people. love it. So the so controlling the mindset. So I love that. What it, how can you how can you do that? 
practice. So everything I believe is in the conscious continuum and our bodies, minds, and souls need practice. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, you know, there's books like Outliers, as you know, that goes yeah. through the consistent behavior. Well, I believe that practice is the key. So to that extent, we practice controlling our mind. I call it being a ferocious Buddha. Uh, mm -hmm. And there's four steps to practicing your mindset. One is to just identify ego-based consciousness. And there's two types of fear. Primary fear, which is the Freudian fears that we all know, the Fs. And then there's the secondary fears, one that ruins our lives that we don't even know. Money, time, emotion, and relationships are ruined by the need to be right, the need to be offended, the need to be separate, inferior, superior, anxious, frustrated, angry, guilty, resentful. If you learn number one, to identify when you're in this consciousness, and then instead of resisting it, going over it, under it, around it, underneath it, fight it, accelerate through it, oversell it, back and sell it, lie to it, just stop. Mm -hmm. Be a Buddha. Drop down to your higher self, breathe, find your higher self, your center, your neutrality, this frequency that's connected to this source of everything, and then be ferocious about moving in the right trajectory. That delta between ego and truth consciousness, that delta of resistance is exponential and uh, applied uh, in a consistent manner will create that compound interest that Einstein talks about in the power of 72. It will create people like you will end up far beyond where we even can imagine because what it allows us to do is be happy where we are at the right place at the perfect time, angle with great velocity towards what we want, but still mm -hmm. have faith that we're going to end up somewhere better. And your story about Hint is a story about being happy where you were at the right place angling with great velocity towards an objective, a goal, or a vision. But what resonated to me through your story is the enormous amount of faith that you're going to end up somewhere better than everybody, including you, probably thought. Yeah, totally. Well, and I think I something that I've, I've talked a lot about over the last year is that I didn't realize so prior to launching a hint, I was at America Online and I was running their e-commerce and shopping partnerships. And I had been through that hockey stick in the late 90s. And then and I was starting my family and decided I didn't want to be on a plane all the time. And so then ended up leaving. And it was, we weren't, AOL wasn't in a free fall at that point, but it was sort of naturally kind of leveling out the way that it was supposed to level out. As a leader, I felt like my responsibility, and I'm sure you've been in this situation as well, was to manage, mentor, and but not learn myself. And so when I left, I kept saying things like, I'm bored. Maybe I should go invest in some companies. Maybe I should go be on some boards, all of those things. And then I didn't do any of that. I took a couple of years off, and then I started looking at myself and couldn't believe how unhealthy I had gotten by drinking diet soda, diet Coke in particular. And that's when I went into learning mode where I was just learning, you know, this entirely new category. I mean, it sounds silly to a lot of people, but things like looking down at this cap, that the fact that it's not called a cap, it's called a closure in the beverage industry. And once I actually figured that out, I could communicate with people who wouldn't, they all of a sudden I spoke their language. I mean, it's a simple, tiny little thing like this. But the bottom line is, is that I was finally learning. And I think that that 
also is the key to happiness, that putting yourself into positions where you feel a little uncomfortable, that they're, you don't know if you're going to succeed or not. But I always told people, and same with you, I mean, if none of this works out, you could go back to Samsung. Maybe you don't want to go to Samsung, but you could go back to sports, right? You could, if you were proud of what you had done, it's really not a risk. And I think that there's something in there in that mindset too, that is, you know, people get, you talked about the walls, people get so hooked on, you know, what if I fail? It'd be embarrassing. I've got all these walls, whatever, (laughs) you know, up. And instead, I think just thinking about what will you learn? And is and having confidence that this is your journey, and you know, and and I do believe that the people that kind of live with this mindset of learning are really the most happy. So I, I've I've heard many of your interviews. I was listening actually um, this morning to one that you did with Gary and uh, Gary V. And you know, it's I think even people who are successful, it's like if you're not learning and instead you're you know you're grumpy, right? If you're not sitting there saying I have no no idea about your business, talk to me about it, and really engaging in some kind of learning. You know what's so funny is when I was worth over a hundred million dollars. I don't think I could have gotten to the worth of a billion dollars, but because I lost all my money, the lessons that I have learned have enabled me and empowered me to make far more than that and empower far more people to do the same. And it's, you know, you spoke so eloquently about that journey of learning and, you know, stemming from one of my favorite lessons of just being more interested than interesting. Uh, and I fell into the totally. trap of being, I was super interesting and I fell into that trap for a while in my life. And I still pride myself, you know, I'm 53 years old, but I still am probably one of the most interested people in it, whether I'm interviewing someone or I have research time every day. I'm, you know, I, I'm a seven day a week consistent person. So I vacation every day, health every day but research every day. I have a minimum of an hour a day that I spend on research to learn, to, mm-hmm. to be more interested. And that has carried over into my formula of happiness more than anything and is very much aligned with the enjoyment of the consistent, persistent pursuit of my potential. Because without that learning, I'll never know what my potential is. I love this. So your, your kids, your four kids, are they they're gonna, what do you hope that they'll, end up doing and and uh oh, what a great question see i'm gonna give you the compliment no one's ever asked me that really <laughs> see you know that's a good interview i love um, it <laughs> um wow first lesson for my kids they come through me not for me and so there's four things i want for my kids and it's the same four things i tell my mom every day that has really changed my life in relationship with my mom and she's still i'm a mama's boy in fact i'm doing a mama issues uh training next friday i do free trainings every friday i but love it I, four things one i want all four of my children to be super healthy i want them super healthy uh, which is aligned with your product <laughs> yeah. second super happy if if those are the only two things you know, man, it's going to be fulfilling for me, but I'd also love them to be full of love to love themselves. Uh, so I want them to be healthy, happy, and love themselves. And then the last part's a little bit more uh, selfish. I I want them to be appreciative, meaning that they add value, uh, to my life and that I add value to the, to their life. So happy, healthy, loving themselves and appreciative. I love it. 
I I think that is uh, that's beautiful. So by the way, my son is at Tulane. When you oh, right on. It. Yeah. You know, so Biden's you- daughter went to Tulane. I just found out as well. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Uh, the, the badass one that wore a tux. Did you yeah. say? Yeah. So great. I just saw that actually. Uh, that's so great. But yeah, he's a freshman there. So he loves oh, it so far. Tell so- him to come. I'm an executive, uh, resident executive, they call me. I speak there normally every year. My daughter just graduated early from there and it's oh, a fabulous yeah. place. So please make sure he looks me up yeah definitely i i love it so he's uh you know it's it's been a weird year right for sure for everybody for sure. but for to be he, a freshman i don't know how he did it yeah so he's uh just went back and is is super excited to be back there so it's oh. uh it's yeah it's super great but anyway that was great to hear that you were there as well and uh good to know so David, how do I mean, obviously, your podcast, the playbook, everybody, it's a must, must, must. There's so many lessons there, I think, in many ways, uh, similar to what we do here, bringing on amazing people and uh, lots of different nuggets and insights from from people leading in all different industries too. Uh, buy the book, Game Time Decision Making, so good at, and uh, really, really exciting that you uh, got this out there. And of course, the sports analogies, it's not just a guy's book. It's, uh, it's definitely, uh, even if you're not a, a professional football player, you'll understand the analogies and, and a lot of the, the mindset that a lot of these people have for sure. And where can followers um, find you? You know, I love people to email me directly at david at dmeltzer.com. Uh, dmeltzer.com. If you just Google David Meltzer, you'll find me. I do have a new TV show as well, Two Minute Drill. Just want to give a quick plug. It's on Amazon Prime Video and Bloomberg Television. Uh, awesome. It's the first just pitch show. No funding. It is $50,000 of cash and prizes every episode, but we don't fund the companies. We just give evaluation of the pitches. So anybody that's interested in trying out for that, season two will be in June. We're taking applications now. But most importantly, David at dmeltzer.com. I do free trainings, free books, free exercises, guides. Just email me. I'll sign it, send it, pay for shipping. I don't care. Just be kind to your future self and do good deeds. And I certainly appreciate the opportunity to be here. I love it. Thank you so much, everybody. And obviously, give this five stars and all of that stuff and and uh, come back and see us every Monday and Wednesday. And thank you so much, David. I really appreciate this. And goodbye, everybody. And thanks for listening. Before we sign off, I want to talk to you about fear. People like to talk about fearless leaders, but achieving big goals isn't about fearlessness. Successful leaders recognize their fears and decide to deal with them head on in order to move forward. This is where my new book, Undaunted, comes in. This book is designed for anyone who wants to succeed in the face of fear, overcome doubts, and live a little undaunted. Order your copy today at undauntedthebook.com and learn how to look your doubts and doubters in the eye and achieve your dreams. For a limited time, you'll also receive a free case of Hint Water. Do you have a question for me or want to nominate an innovator to Spotlight? Send me a tweet at Kara Golden and let me know. And if you like what you heard, please leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. You can also follow along with me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at Kara Golden. Golden. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.